We have another author as our guest today, Susan Solomon. This is episode nine of Let's Get Mystical. We only have one more episode before double digits, Lynn. Oh my God. Has it been that long already? I know. It's crazy, isn't it? It went fast. Yeah. So we're going to not have too long of an intro today because I am having some mouth pain, unfortunately. And um, I'm having storms. Yeah. And uh, I also have not don't have really much to update. So we're going to start with you and your watching of Supernatural. How's it going? You know, <laughs> I stopped originally because I thought it was mildly boring, but I got to tell you, I'm getting into it. I'm finding favorite characters. I haven't met Castiel, I guess his name is yet, who you kept talking about, but yep. I love I love Bobby so much. And then what was the girl I told you about earlier? What was her name that I like so much? Ruby. Ruby. I love Ruby. Oh, I love her so much. And don't tell me, don't spoil it, but I, I want a redemption arc where she like gets to turn human or something. I don't know, because I just love Ruby. I dun, love that dun, she's dun. like, I know I love Ruby. And I just watched, okay, I could have been warned about the um, Santa traumatizations. <laughs> um, and then the spoiler alerts, if you haven't watched Supernatural, this is about to be a spoiler, but the Dean death over and over and over again, that first one, I got teary eyed. Yeah. Like, wait, wait a minute. I thought this was like a long going series. Then I started laughing at how creative they got. Yeah. I like I was, episode. yeah, I was cracking up at how creative they got at some of those, like well, the, the thing, whatever dropped on him. And <laughs> the thing I liked about that episode was I did not see the, reason for it coming i had no idea that that's what it was until it they had revealed it yeah it was i really like that one i really like that one but yeah I'm, I'm really starting to enjoy it now and my husband even last night you know when he comes downstairs if he wants to watch something else we decide together what we're gonna watch you know he's straight up you want to watch your show because he was already down there he didn't have it on or anything yet i was like well yeah i do and he just turned it on even though there's a baseball game. Just so, just so you know, he had his phone playing the baseball game where we could both see it and I could still watch Supernatural while keeping track of the Cardinals, which we won last night. Last night for me and you was April 12th, which was Tuesday. Good hubby. He's got my praise. That's for sure. Always He's, watch Supernatural. He likes me. So likes how many episodes bit. are you from the end of season three? I think just a couple more and you've warned me. So I'm telling you, when you get to that last episode of the season, you better text me first before you start it. Cause I'm going to give you some warnings. Well, there's that show. This is us. And, and I tried that. No one warned me. And again, spoiler alert. If anyone's not watched that, no one told me about the dad's death. The dad died of a, a heart attack um, from smoke inhalation. And his name was Jack. My daddy's name was Jack and died of a heart attack. <laughs> and was in a, a burning truck i literally was like sobbing like i i don't cry but i was literally marley and me saw sobbing you know what i mean like if you've seen marley and me you know what i'm talking about well fair warning so, about supernatural then later in the like last few seasons i can't remember exactly when he comes into the picture but there is a character named jack so just fair warning oh I have, I'm getting better about it. It's been six years now, but yeah. It, he's that, not a dad, if that helps. He's just, that does he's, help. He's, he's actually a kid, but. That does help. That does help. <laughs> you can consider him a series regular by that point. So as, as long as the dad. Before then. Well, as long as a daddy named Jack doesn't die of a heart attack, we'll be okay. I will tell but you, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to give you any spoilers, but I will tell you that last episode of season three wrecks me every time. I'll let you know. We'll see. We'll see. You know, I was going to, I was going to start something else, but I promised you and I promised the listeners that I would check out Supernatural. I will say this, you know, I am on TikTok and I, I mainly watch, but I do post sometimes the interviews and the conventions with the actors from Supernatural. I want to hang out with these guys. They are so funny. They are so freaking funny. 
oh my God, I want to just go sit down and have a beer and just listen to them act like fools, you know? <laughs> That's enough to get me to watch a show is if in real life somebody's cool, you know? You're only on season three. You got what, season like Season three. 12 yeah. of them to go? <laughs> I, I don't know. How many are there? 15. Holy hell. That's going to take me a long time. Yeah, you're going to be watching it for a while. Well, you know, I only have like an hour or two a night to watch TV because, girl, I've been working 12 and 14 hours lately. Yeah, well, that's to get... okay. I mean, you just, that means you're going to be longer that you're going to be watching them, which yeah, it's more time that's... to watch Dean. So, well, if you're anything like me, you hate to see a world end. So, like, we were watching Vikings and we knew it was coming to an end because these were actually, the shows were based on real people. So, we knew it was eventually going to come to an end, but I was so sad. And then this is the last season of Walking Dead. And we just finished the um, mid mid season finale, and it made me sad because I knew when it starts back up in fall, that's all she wrote. That's it. That's it yeah. for me. So I never want this, the world to end. So that's okay. Like I I like long running series. Yeah. Well, you'll definitely have plenty of it to watch. That's for sure. Unless I get bored, then I don't like it. You will not get bored. I will say there is one season that is my least favorite, believe it or not. And it's season seven. So you got to wait before you get there. The Office season nine, although they have their high parts, but season nine is my least favorite, which is yeah. the last one. But I wouldn't say season seven is a bad one. It has its good parts. It's just the main plot of season seven was not very interesting to me. But did you watch True Blood? I did not. Yeah, there was a season that was just... It was just one of the, it actually turned me off and I stopped watching it and I need to go back and finish it, but it just turned me off so much. And I'm like, this is stupid. Like they strayed so far from what we had come to know of True Blood. Well, on the same subject to TV, what do you think about the fact that they're doing an interview with a vampire reboot? I'm torn. I literally just, because I don't watch cable, I have it on in my room in my office when I'm working, but I don't really look up very often. I just listen. I just saw last night, you know, or it was, no, it was the night before because we were watching the Cardinals game and the commercial came on. I was like, you have got to be kidding me. Like, no freaking way. On one hand, I'm excited because, as you know, Anne Rice was the author that turned me onto the paranormal that that swayed me over to all things that go bump in the night um stephen king introduced me to horror but um ann rice is who gave me you know the the love of vampires and the love of things like that but having said that <laughs> i don't know how we can turn this into a series like there's always going to be a louis and Lestat, and it's brad pitt and tom cruise I don't, I mean, I didn't really like the movie either, but I'm trying to not pass judgment until I see at least a couple of episodes and I never, ever judge a show on the pilot episode. So did you literally just say you didn't like the movie? I did. Well, it was nice to know you. <laughs> How can you not like, I don't know. I don't know exactly what it was about it. It just not, I mean, I watched did you read the through. book. No, I don't. I don't. We, we won't get into that topic. Because if you read the book, I think the movie would be better for you. I, no, the, the I couldn't read the book. What? Uh, there's there's two authors that I could never get into, and that's Anne Rice and J.R. Ward. <sighs> <laughs> I am literally questioning our friendship right now. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing against them. I just I tried to reading them, and I just couldn't. I couldn't stick with it, especially J.R. Ward. I was. Okay, nope. BDB forever. Sorry, Black Black Dagger Brotherhood forever. I don't, I just. I don't know mm. if it was the writing or what it was, but I just like. You know, I can't give you crap about that because, you know, there are very popular books that I did not like. Yeah. And it wasn't because I didn't like the person. It's just not. Some of my favorite books in the entire world have one star reviews. So not everything is for everybody. Um, Shit's Creek. Is that what it's called? I tried yeah. it. I tried it and I didn't understand why everybody thought it was so hilarious. Maybe I need to give it a little bit more time. I didn't really like it either. So, okay. So I didn't understand why it was so hilarious. You know, there's just for some people, not for others, you know, well, I'm trying to figure out what to watch next. Now that I finished shadow hunters. 
I have a list of stuff, but not all of it's available on streaming services that I have. So, and I'm not spending money to get another one. Have you watched Bridgerton yet? I don't like Bridgerton. Okay, I don't even know what's going on today. I feel like I'm in the twilight zone. You know, that's like the the, the only girly thing I do in my life is Bridgerton and sigh nope. over Bridgerton. I watched about two and a half episodes of season one and quit. Oh. Did not enjoy the it. The whole enemies to lovers and the passion and, oh. <laughs> Didn't enjoy it. Didn't enjoy oh, it. Oh, man. And I was really concerned. Well, I'll tell you this. Um, for those who've watched it, the oldest brother, and for the love of me, his name just escaped me. I just heard it in my head and I just lost it again. The oldest brother in the Bridgerton family in real life is actually gay. Um, let me tell you something. Homeboy is a phenomenal actor because I felt, you know, there's chemistry between actors and there's not chemistry between actors. I felt the heat and the passion between the main characters in this season, which was, was his season, which was his story. I felt that heat. You're talking about Like that two? just shows. Yeah. That just shows those acting chops, you know, like if somebody can make you believe that that world is real, you know, they can suck you into the point where you forget where you are. Yeah. We're talking about... I just lost his name again. Damn it. Are we talking about Anthony? He was the, yes, I believe Anthony was the oldest brother. Yeah. Jonathan Bailey. Yeah, Anthony, Jonathan Bailey. Yeah, yeah. But you, I mean, seriously, between him and his betrothed or, you know, not betrothed, but him and the, the female lead, the passion that came off that screen made me forget my husband was sitting next to me. Well, I, like, I mean, think about like Neil Patrick Harris and stuff. He's oh, gay, yeah. but you oh, watch yeah. him on things and he, he he's good at pretending not to be. <laughs> well, and it's it's not just that. It's that it's just... Would you forget that this person is a real person that you forget that it's an actor that you it's like, you know, there's some like Brad Pitt is Brad Pitt in every movie. Ryan Reynolds is Ryan Reynolds in every movie. But then there are actors that you believe they are uh, the Vikings that show. I saw a show where the character plays Ragnar was in something else. I'm like, wait, no, 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 no. You're Ragnar. Like, <laughs> because they're so good. You believe that he is Anthony Bridgerton, you know, like Robin Williams is a good example of that. Oh, don't do that. (laughs) I'm having a, I'm having a heart sick day. Let's not do that. And you'll notice, actually, you'll notice that while you're watching Supernatural too, that um, especially Jensen is able to play different versions of Dean very well. He's able to make it seem like it's a completely different person. I mean, Jared is too, but. Well, you know, Jared came out about his anxiety issues. Yeah. Yeah, I love that he did that because, you know, when I was growing up, I'm, I'm, I'm a little older than you. When I was growing up, we did there was no such thing. We didn't know anything about anxiety and depression. That was just you're being angsty or you're being a brat or whatever. So especially for like my generation, I'm going to tell you, it's okay if you have anxiety. Like we all have it. Now to learn you're normal. You're not a weirdo. You're not a freak. You're not a crybaby. And I love that he was so candid about it. And I actually saw where somebody stood up and thanked him for coming out and saying that so that we could see that no one is perfect. You know, I love that he came out and said that. Oh Who's yeah. It? I've uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, the dad yeah. in that is Negan, but he's also and he's Negan in Walking Dead. He's also Denny Duquette in um, Grey's Anatomy. Yep. That homeboy can act too. Yeah. And a little interesting thing that you'll see, I mean, you don't know it yet because you haven't met Cass, but um, Misha Collins is really good at playing different people too. And he is, a little bit of interesting trivia for you, he is the one on Supernatural that plays the most parts. Really? Yeah. You'll see why when you get into okay. his storyline. Yeah, like I know who he is and I've seen him on, you know, these interviews and stuff like that. And I've heard people talk about him. It's just, I haven't met him yet. <laughs> I know Bobby, Dean, uh, Sam, Bella, and what's her name? Ruby. Ruby. Those are the main people I know right you've now. You've met Rufus too, right? The black guy? The yes. Bobby's friend? Yeah. I like Rufus. Yes. 
Yes. And then last night, uh, yeah, last night, um, it was, I watched the episode before, uh, ghost facers <laughs> where they were arrested and the guy didn't believe that, you know, there was demons until the demons attacked. So then I guess he's going to be a new ally too. Uh, which one when they were arrested? Cause that doesn't narrow it down very far. They were in the police department in jail and a helicopter was coming to pick them up. And wait, wait a minute. A cop, you didn't see the end of that episode though? Yeah. Yeah. Well then why are you saying he's going to be an ally if you saw the end of that episode? Because he's going to be an ally? No. The end of that episode, something happened. To him? Uh-huh. To everybody Did in I that look- police station. Did I look away because he it's said he'll have to have. come up with a story and say that they died in a the helicopter yeah, you crash? Must have, you must have missed the very end, the very tail end of it, when Ruby came back to the hotel room. Okay, I'll have to go back. and I must have looked away or thought it was over and went to the bathroom or something. Yeah, I rewatched the end of that episode. For well, sure. don't tell me. <laughs> but definitely rewatch the end me. of the episode. Okay, I'll have to go back. Yeah, <laughs> I, I thought it was over. Well, I've got Netflix on my phone, so maybe I'll sit when I get back to the cave. I'll, I'll sit there and do that. All right. And why? And why is my butt glued to the seat in the cave, Genevieve? Mm-hmm. Because you're editing. I'm editing and revising because I got extensive notes on the upcoming book from my beloved editor, Genevieve. That's okay. Looking forward I'm, to getting uh, it back. I'm looking forward to you reading it. I think you're going to like it. Okay, good. I think you're going to like it way better. Well, that's really everything I had to talk about in the intro, so why don't we get to the interview? Let's do this. All right. Well, this week's a spooky special guest is Susan Solomon. She is an author from Niagara Falls, and she has had several different um, books she's written. She wrote, they were all paranormal. She We talk about a couple of them, but she also has written a series of uh, paranormal mysteries where the main character is a descendant of one of the Salem witches. Oh. Yeah. So let's get to that interview where we talk about her books, uh, her retirement journal, and a lot more. So we have with us uh, Susan Solomon, who is an author and has agreed to be our lovely guest um, on this episode. So I want to just start and give you a chance to tell everybody about yourself. Well, thank you. Um I am a former entertainment attorney. I worked for years and years downstate in New York City and then eventually uh, was moved by the firm I was working for up here to Niagara Falls. I'm I'm currently the uh, moderator of the Buffalo uh, Writers Critique Group. Years ago, I was introduced to this group and found a mentor who convinced me that I ought to be writing some Uh, some murder mysteries. Gary Earl Ross is his name, a wonderful uh, mystery writer himself and an Edgar Award winner. Uh, Actually, Gary did an unthinkable thing. He dared me to do it. And I've never been smart enough to turn down a dare. So I got busy with it. And in three months, I had managed to, uh, to write the first book in the Emlyn Good series. That's been followed by God three other novels and a fourth now sitting with my uh, with my editor plus four novelettes and the first uh, the first novel of the magic of murder was uh, was an award winner in several uh, several categories uh, as was the uh, the uh, the third novel writing is murder my haunted house murder mystery at uh, point I got a little bit bored with my characters, so I walked away from it and uh, wrote a uh, wrote a paranormal romance, which I was thrilled to find out was uh, awarded the grand prize as the best paranormal romance of the year by Chanticleer International Book Awards. I've also re- received awards for a number of my short stories, and I keep writing. Well, I don't find any way to stop. <laughs> That's wonderful. Hopefully you'll continue to win awards as well. I certainly hope so. <laughs> Congratulations on all that success. Thank you. Um, so what kind of, what time of day is the best 
uh, writing time for you? Uh, most days I'm writing at uh, in, in the morning. I get myself out of bed. I have my oh, four or five or six cups of coffee to get my brain working, and then I'm at my computer until just about lunchtime. There have been a few times that uh, I got so involved with a story that I completely forget to stop, and I've been writing until my stomach starts to growl. And one time I was actually writing until 8 or 9 o'clock at night, but mostly it's it's the mornings, and I uh, do that seven days a week. And now, how early in the morning do you start? Any place from oh, from nine to nine thirty, and that gives me uh, a good three hours to uh, to focus. In fact, this morning I was writing, uh, working on a uh, new a new novel. Uh, this one, my uh, my editor. Uh, Tony Kohler, who I think is probably the best editor I've ever worked with, he and I are co-writing the story. Uh, a little bit strange, but we're having fun with it. That's exciting. I, <laughs> I've i always kind of thought I wanted to co-write a book, but it just sounds so difficult. This is actually a bit of fun. Uh, Tony is mostly uh, mostly interested in sci-fi. And uh, he's the one that started the uh, started the book, um, and we're just shooting back and forth with tag you're it uh, four or five pages later, and um, seeing what we can do to keep each other laughing at at what's going on. Sounds like fun. And at the same time, I'm working on the next Demlin Good mystery. Oh, writing two books at once. That's that's ambitious. <laughs> uh, yeah, there have been times I've worked on three or four at a time. Wow. Sanity is not in my makeup. <laughs> now, how long does it take you to write a book usually? Well, as I said, uh, the, uh, the Magic of Murder took me three months to write, uh, start to finish. And it took good probably about a year before I found a publisher. Uh, I'm now with Solstice Publishing. And um, then the uh, then the editing process began. Uh, it can take, oh, that book probably took uh, six or seven drafts. The most recent uh, books that I've worked on have taken 11 or 12 drafts and have been probably uh, four to six months in writing the first the first draft. And part of that is because I now work with a, a novel writers group, a group of uh, five wonderful, uh, wonderful writers. And they don't let me get away with a thing. As I bring chapters to them, uh, I get their comments and have to go back to the beginning and make everything fit. So it can take six months to nine months to get book done. So would you say for a first draft, your absolute maximum is six months? Probably, yeah. Which is why I'm able to get about two books a year out. That's fantastic. Takes me twice that long. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. <clears throat> so as you're writing, do you find that there's any um, tools you absolutely have to have or some things you have to absolutely do to kind of get in a writing groove or does writing just come to you? The writing comes to me. Um, sometimes I just wake up with it in my mind. Um, I like to tell people that uh, it's the, it's the characters that are talking to me in my dreams. Um, other times I might be driving someplace and an idea for a, uh, for a story strikes and I just have to pull to the side of the road and make notes about it. So <clears throat> would you say that an indispensable tool for you is your subconscious? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> it just it just comes it just comes that way. Would you say you have any uh interesting writing quirks? Oh Lord. <laughs> I'm not quite sure it's a quirk. I know that I spend half my time, uh, half my time doing research, and 
to give you a little bit about the Emlyn Good books, my narrator, Emlyn, is a woman who at the age of 40 or something just learned that she's a direct descendant of Sarah Good, who was hanged as a witch in Salem in 1692. So a lot of that uh, research involves Salem, of course, and herbalism, and in fact, uh, witchcraft, as it was practiced then and as it's practiced now. Um, the strange thing is, <coughs> excuse me, uh, that as I started the research, I wound up with a lot of books on on uh, on Wicca, herbalism, and witchcraft. And as I started to read, it just struck me that this makes sense to me. So I ran out. I got candles. I decided I was going to practice. I even got nothing. And that's the uh, that's the uh, ceremonial knife. And the only thing that I really needed was a cast iron uh, cauldron. Then one day I was visiting my sister in Florida and we were driving through West Palm Beach and we passed a secondhand store. And in the window was a nice sized cast iron cauldron. And I said, Robin, stop the car. And she pulled to the start to the curb and she said, what? And I pointed at the cauldron. She said, no, come on, Susan, you have, you have enough planters in your house. I said, no, no, that's not what I use it for. And I made the mistake of telling Robin why I wanted it. And she grabbed my, the back of my uh, shirt, dragged me back into her car and explained to me in simple words, even I would understand why I'm the last person in the world who should know how to do these things. So I don't practice, um, but I do a lot of research and have learned an awful lot about it. Woman after my own heart with that word research. It's something I, oh, I continually tell people. Research everything. Absolutely. And you know what, Genevieve, even with all the research, and this is one of the reasons that um, I believe that my editor is incredible, uh, for the book Abigail's Window, that was the paranormal romance. Um, my uh, my ghost, her family were fishermen on Lake Ontario in the 1850s and 60s. And I did all kinds of research to find out what fish would be in Lake Ontario. And when my editor got a hold of it, he came back with a comment and he said, Susan, those fish weren't there in 1850 and 1860. These were the fish that were there. Oh, and about the trout stream in, in, in Missouri, there wasn't any of those in 1850 or 60. So move it. Yeah, editors are definitely indispensable for that kind of thing. Oh, God, yes. Now, since you mentioned Abigail's window, let's uh, skip down in the questions a little. Um in that book, you have your main character and your ghost are from two completely separate times. Um, yeah. Was that a challenge to write that? You know, I didn't find it a challenge at all. And the funny thing is, the way the book was written, um, the man I was working for uh, had owned a bed and breakfast in Niagara-on-the-Lake, which is just across the, uh, the river from us. And... Uh, he knew that I was writing, and he'd asked me if I would write a short romance that he could put in the rooms uh, for Valentine's Day. So I went across the border to the house to do a little bit of research so I'd know exactly what it looked like. And as I walked in the door, the innkeeper was standing at the, at the bottom of the steps holding onto the newel post, and she looked absolutely pale. And I said, what's the matter? And she said, Susan, don't you hear it? I said, what? The walking on upstairs. I said, come on, that's probably one of your guests. She said, no, we're the only two here. Being a lawyer, everything has to make sense. It's got to be normal. So I went upstairs and I walked down to the room where I, uh, where I, I the, the walking was. As I opened the door, I heard this deep sigh, and it really sounded like a feminine sigh. I closed the door, ran downstairs, and have not been back to that house since. 
but it did give me the idea for the ghost. Why I found her in 1850 and 1860 is because it was an interesting time, uh, the pre-Civil War time and the Underground Railroad time uh, in Western New York and even across the border into Canada. So I knew where to place the ghost. And while I was writing the romance, um, I was using a current day narrator uh, who would meet the ghost. And actually that short story was what, uh, first of all, that, uh, that was picked up by a, uh, a, a literary journal uh, a number of years ago. And that short story just grew into the novel. So I had my narrator, I had my ghost, and it just all fell together. Wonderful. How old were you when you wrote your first book? After I had a bad car accident, I uh, was out of work for a number of years and uh, with a broken neck. And when I was ready to go back to work, I hooked up with a friend who was the uh, managing editor and the owner of a uh, quarterly art magazine. And Vic, uh, Vic had me come work for him. And I began writing for the course of five years about half of the stories in, that, uh, in, in, in each issue. And what I loved about that was that uh, Vic gave me the best advice. He said, it doesn't matter if you're writing nonfiction, be creative. And that pushed me in the right direction. Then, Lord, I moved up here. I was probably about 52, 53 when I was, uh, I started really writing my first novel and wandering around Buffalo. I was introduced to the uh, people at, uh, the just Buffalo literary center and they introduced me to their uh, writer's critique group. That's where the serious writing began and where really everything I've learned uh, since has come from. Since then, as I said, it's been, Lord, I don't, I can't remember how many novels and short stories and each time it just becomes more of a thrill to keep going. That's great. Um, so it's wonderful to hear that something so positive and inspiring came out of having a broken neck. I mean, that had to be such an ordeal for you. It was three months in the hospital and a year and a half of recovery after that. But it somehow, you know, I got past it. And I realized something important. I could either lie there and feel sorry for myself, be very unhappy, or I could laugh at the whole thing. If I was sorry for myself, I would be doing it in a dark room by myself. If I laughed about everything, I had a room full of people. An easy choice to make. Yes. Well, I'm glad that you made it through it and that you are experiencing life to the fullest. I am indeed. So if you could be remembered for one thing with your writing, what would it be? Oh, Lord. I think it's for the amount that I've learned and my desire to give it back to writers who are just beginning. I think that I owe that to them. And I owe that to the people that taught me so much. That's wonderful. I love that uh, you want to use what you've learned and pass it on. <clears throat> now, you touched on this a little bit, um, but where would you say you get most of your ideas for your writing? Sometimes they just pop into my head. As I said, uh, the idea for the, um, for the uh, paranormal romance came from a, uh, a request from a man I was working for. 
um, and the Abigail, uh, the, the uh, Emlyn Good uh, novels actually grew from a from a short story that I had written, um, and that was published in a in a literary journal. Um, and the reason it grew from that, uh, along with the dare that Gary had made, was the fact that when Gary dared me to write the mystery, um, I looked at the characters in that uh, in that short story, and it was Emlyn, and it was uh, Rebecca Nurse, who was a friend and was a Wicca, and a... Uh, and a uh, albino cat that had followed Emlyn home from having researched um, Wicca for a story she was writing, Emlyn is an author, how many of our characters are parts of ourselves. Huh? And um, I realized that, oh, these would be good characters, which defined that it was going to be witchcraft that would underlie these stories. And that short story actually became the first, the second and third chapters of The Magic of Murder. Um, other ideas came for me. Uh, for example, one of my uh, latest books is What's Past is Prologue, which is a, um, uh, it, it, it uh, starts with a, uh, with a an old rundown yellow brick building, and I was talking to my editor one day, and for some reason, the conversation turned to uh, to past life experiences. And while we were talking, I remembered this old yellow brick building that was on a corner uh, in the area in which I grew up in Queens, New York. And any time I would walk past this building, any time I drove past it, and even in a bus riding past it, I would go into a blind panic. Was that an experience in a past life? I don't know. But it did give me the idea for, uh, for the book, What's Past is Prologue. And uh, the concept of deja vu that runs through it, my narrator is experiencing this, um, meeting, meeting a detective who, for the first time, with a sense that she knows him from someplace, seeing a yellow brick building and being a little bit panicked, um, as if she'd seen it in the past. And the same thing is uh, she's an attorney and she was sent to a, uh, to a potential crime scene. And as a body is being dug up near that old yellow brick building, she sees a ring in the, uh, in the grave and again begins to panic a little bit because she feels that she knows this ring. So all of this coming together, um, the past life experience, the deja vu that, um, that runs through it, uh, that leads back to that experience, and including all of the research that went into um, to psychologists bringing somebody back to the past, um, it, it just led to this, to this novel. Wow. So now would you say that that was your most random source of inspiration for a book? Or was there something that was even more kind of off the wall that you had an inspiration for? Uh, well, <laughs> that one was a bit random. Uh, but the same thing uh, happened with, uh, with the short story that led to the Emlyn Good Mysteries. That was written by a prompt. Uh, from that uh, from that literary journal. Interesting. Now, yeah. did you ever dis did you ever find out if you did have anything uh, connecting to her past life? 
Um, there was one time years and years ago, and it was while I was recovering from that broken neck, I had a friend, <clears throat> excuse me, who was a psychologist that was uh, studying past life regressions. And his name was Bruce. And we were together one evening and we were talking and he decided that he was going to lead me back. And um, as he started to, this strange memory came back. It was, um, it was just near reaching the end, probably 1942 or so. Uh, of World War II, I was a little Jewish girl living in Poland. And as the Russians are retreating from, uh, not the Germans are retreating from Russia, uh, the farmer that uh, we were hit, that was hiding us, uh, me and some other children, brought us to this small city. I have no idea what city that was, and uh, hit us in the attic of a, uh, a three-story building. And I was the oldest, I was about 11. And he told me that I had to keep the other children quiet. Then he left and after a couple of hours, and I have no idea how many, uh, one of the children started to cry. And I tried to, tried to hush him and I couldn't. And shortly after that, the trap door to the attic opened and this, this German officer's head poked through. I panicked and started to run. And in the attic, it was like a maze. And I ran full of cartons and other sundry things. And I ran through this maze to a circular window that had a board stretching across the street to another building. As I started to run out onto that board, the officer grabbed my foot. I fell. That's how I died. Um, I know that uh, in the Eastern religions, um, you don't return for about oh, 100, 200 years. Uh, that research I've done. But in this case, the, uh, the, the therapist told me that I probably was remembering this past life and had come back this soon uh, because there was so much left undone. At any rate, to me, the interesting thing was that for most of my life, I had had maze dreams, the kind of maze dreams that showed up in what's past as prologue. I also, for years and years, had been terribly claustrophobic with no reason uh, in this lifetime for it. This experience seemed to explain both. Um, I haven't had a maze dream since, or at least one of those panicked maze dreams, and I am far less claustrophobic these days. So was that a real past life? I believe it was. That's interesting that um, simply experiencing the past life kind of relieved some of those, those hangups, you know, like the claustrophobia and stuff. It's interesting that it was, that it helped that well, you know, just from experiencing it. It really did. Um, it surprised me and it took a short while for me to realize it, but wow. That's great. I can now get into an elevator without standing with my uh, my back to the wall and panicking. When will we reach the floor? That's that's great. I wish I could get rid of my claustrophobia. That's for sure. Oh please! <laughs> and of course, I did give the claustrophobic gene to uh, Emlyn Good. As I said, so much of me is in all these characters. Yes, and, and I think that's the, the way with every writer, they, even if they don't realize it. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, of course, so many people I know, and so much of what I do and what I see is, uh, it winds up in stories. 
it's the reason that I carry uh, carry my writer's journal with me almost any place that I go. I'm making constant notes, and um, even even in airports, my sister lives in Florida, and I'm down there two times a year to visit her and her kids and her grandkids, and um, a couple of times the notes that I've made uh, while I was sitting in the airport turned into short stories. But it, it has been a strange experience also because there have been times that I've been sitting in a restaurant and I remember one time very clearly um, I was sitting and kind of leaning over and listening to a conversation at another table because I wanted to pick up the accents of the people who were talking. I wanted to see their body language as they reacted to each other. Apparently, they were not crazy about me. Oh, listening in on their conversation. And they called over the head waiter. And I was asked to leave the restaurant. So sometimes it's not a good idea to do that kind of thing. <laughs> Uh, I don't think it was fair they were asking you to leave, but... Oh, hey, you know, it happens. <laughs> okay, uh, so you mentioned that um, that you've done research. Um, so I won't ask you if you've done research, because obviously you have. But I was wondering, is, oh, yeah. has there ever been research you've done that you never thought it would be something that you'd be <laughs> looking up voluntarily? Like, was there ever any kind of weird research you had to do? I think that the that, that the research into uh, into herbalism and witchcraft uh, was something that I never expected. Um, I know I had done a little bit of research for that short story, um, but it was mostly on um, mostly on uh, Salem in 1692. Yeah, I. I had wandered through a um, through a uh, a Wiccan shop uh, in a uh, in a town oh about thirty miles from me, uh, so I knew what was sitting there, and that was easy. But didn't need to do research into it. But for me, it was a surprise that all of the research had to be done into Wicca, into herbalism, uh, into the language that was used, that, that the Wiccans used, well, the witches in the old days, and the current Wiccas use. Um, I had never thought that I would ever have to be researching that. I probably have in my library, oh, seven or eight uh, books on the subject. And I'm constantly, each time I work on an Emlyn Good story, I'm going back to that. I have to say that uh, the whole history of Salem is very interesting to me as well. Um, I've actually visited there and visited the, the memorial site. And uh, there's some there's some feelings there when you go. There certainly is. Yeah. And... Um, because Abigail, the ghost from my story, um, I believe she's moved in with me. And even with that, I do enjoy uh, periodically watching the uh, Ghost Hunter shows on television. And I, I've started to call them Abigail's soap operas. <laughs> and I mention that because several of those groups did do uh, ghost hunting in Salem. And some very interesting things were found. Uh, okay, so um, one final writing question. Um, what challenges did you face while you were writing paranormal stories? Not expecting the amount of time that I would have to spend in libraries, Googling, uh, reading, to, uh, to research the facts. That was something that I learned very early on. Um, if my facts, and as a writer, you know this, if my facts aren't absolutely accurate, some reader is going to spot it. 
and will call me out on it. Yes, they definitely will. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> well, and, you know, um, as much as you think you know about a topic, there's there's bound to be information out there you didn't know. So research it oh, even absolutely. if you think you know it 100%. <laughs> you know, and the funny thing is, um, and I'm drawing a blank on the woman's name, but a surprise in the research, and this actually, I did include it in, um, in, in one of the books, one of the Emlyn Good books. Um, one of the women who was accused, she had owned a, an inn up there, a bar, and she also owned an apple orchard. And there was a man who wanted the property on which that orchard stood, and she refused to sell it to him. She was accused by that man of witchcraft. Wow. So, actually, a case of murder. Pretty much, yeah. Um, I did not expect to find that. What a petty man. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, so before we get to the question that everybody has to answer, was there anything you wanted to add about your writing, what you have coming up, where people can find you? Well, absolutely. Um, I certainly have my author page on on Amazon, um, and all of my books are listed there. And if uh, if a, uh, somebody that's interested uh, clicks on that, they'll see all of the wonderful reviews that we've gotten. Um, I also have my Susan Solomon Facebook page. Uh, where I do a daily, well, almost a daily post. I call it my retirement journal and talk about my life and things that I've, uh, that I've been doing and things that have happened to me. And I also talk about uh, the books that I'm, that I'm writing. And I brag about the awards that we've won. Um, the books that I'm working on with my editor is now the fourth Emlyn Good novel. It's called Shooting Par, and I will I, I will reveal this much at the start. Uh, Mike Parr is a body who was found cut up on a golf course. Um, Emlyn and her boyfriend Roger Fry, who is detective in Niagara Falls, um, have been getting together through each of the stories and they have gotten engaged and in shooting par they are planning a wedding and in the book that i'm currently working on it's called honeymoon murder and in that book they do finally get married of course they can't have a peaceful honeymoon of course and something that I enjoy, the hotel in Naples, Florida, that they're honeymooning in, is one that my sister and I and my nephews and a friend of ours, Linda, uh, have been vacationing in for a few years uh, during the summer. And I've gotten permission from the hotel owner to have a dead body in his pool. So I think that was kind of nice. It'll just cost me a couple of books. <laughs> how, how did that conversation go? <laughs> um, because my sister is a friend of his, I just kept nagging her, and she finally asked the question, and he finally gave her the answer. I don't want to know how the conversation went. <laughs> I just know that I got what I needed. Oh, I can only imagine his face when they asked that question about a dead body. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I have and, to say, I have uh, to um, find some money to order all of those books in paperback because I have not been able to keep up with this series because I unfortunately am not able to read um, on electronic devices anymore. So I got to uh, gotta get those ordered. Please do read them. Let me know. Let, let me know what you think. I definitely will. 
<clears throat> so and let everybody else know what you think. Oh, I definitely will do that as well. I, I often review books on this podcast, so I will definitely let people know. And just so everybody listening knows, um, all of Susan's links are in the show notes, so you can check out all of her pages and everything there. Um, definitely highly recommend her Facebook page because it is pretty much my best, my favorite thing on Facebook. Thank you. You're welcome. I very much enjoy your retirement journal. Uh, thank you. And of course, the most important lesson that I still haven't learned in retirement is patience. <laughs> You'll get there. <laughs> I'm working on it. <laughs> Okay, so here comes the question every guest has to answer. Have you ever had any personal, supernatural, or paranormal experiences? Uh, the answer to that is yes. Um, and it's the reason that I will never go on a ghost hunt, and I will never ever use a Ouija board again. Oh, I gotta um, hear this story. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, this uh, this shows up in a scene in in Abigail's window. But I had uh, I had been playing with a Ouija board with some friends one evening, and apparently, whatever spirit uh, we contacted followed me back to my apartment. And God, there was this one night I was married at the time, and I. We were living in a uh, in a junior two bedroom apartment in Queens, and it was a very narrow kitchen. And I had a cookbook opened on a counter on one side, and I reached across to the refrigerator uh, to get out the chicken that I was going to cook. And as I opened the refrigerator, a carton of eggs came out. And yes, I know all about the kind of energy that would open a door fast and something will move. That's not what happened. The egg, the carton came out, it opened, it turned upside down, eggs hit the floor, and two of them came flying at me. Scared the life out of me. And I wound up sitting on the floor. I dropped the bowl that I was holding. I was sitting on the floor crying. Uh, we had to move to get rid of that stupid ghost. Wow. Yeah. That does not sound like it was a happy spirit. No. I am happy with Emlyn, with Abigail, though. Um, she seems to be a kinder spirit. And as a matter of fact, I, I did write a short story uh, that is in a, uh, in a uh, journal online called A Story is Born. And... Uh, it does talk about how that book was written. It also shows why I believe that Abigail has moved in with me. And there are nights that I do hear pacing at the foot of my bed. And there have been times when I felt a gentle hand on my shoulder while I've been writing. And there was one time that I was sitting uh, at my computer and I heard footsteps come behind me from one wall move into the uh to the house next door um yeah i believe abigail's here wonderful well i'm glad that uh you are have been able to cohabitate with that spirit um and not having any issues <laughs> no and living alone she's good company that's good and i will also include that link in the show notes as well if anybody wants to check out that short um Okay, well, that was all my questions I had for you. Thank you for so much for being my guest. Oh, Genevieve, thank you so much for having me. So that was the interview with Susan. That, I, I can't wait to read that. I cannot wait to read that. Yeah, I have started reading her books. And as I said in the interview, I have to kind of catch up because I don't really read electronic books anymore. So I got to get some money to order all the paperbacks so I can catch up on that series. Yeah, I tend to read downstairs on the, because I told you my husband is a vampire, so our living room's in the basement, but that and in bed on my phone in the dark, so yeah, yeah. I miss paperbacks, so. <laughs> I, I actually do enjoy reading them, but they just cost so much money, mm -hmm. especially since I've been reading YA, and most of YA comes in hardcover. Yeah. So. When Borders was still uh, around, I used to go two, three times a week and buy two or three books at a time, yeah. so Yeah. 
I, I, I put a lot of money. You would think that me alone, that I would have kept the place in, in business. <laughs> well, that's it for episode nine, I guess. Um, well, next week we're going to be in double digits. Whoop, whoop. Woohoo. And then we're going to be only about four or five episodes away from the end of the season, believe it or not. Oh, man. That time is just flying by. It is, yeah. Older you get, faster it goes. <laughs> so we're going to see you all next week, I hope. And uh, Lynn, I hope you stay safe with that storm that's brewing. That's been coming and going all day. I'm surprised you guys can't hear the thunder. It's <laughs> been pouring. I'm sure we'll get flooding. Well, we were lucky enough that everything worked while we were recording so yeah no kid it was flashing before as i was worried it was going to flash out and i i would be mia and you didn't get any frantic dogs climbing on your lap or anything <laughs> no nope they're laying literally right beside me though because of the rumbling if, no. it, if it came across the, the microphone i apologize but no control over mother nature no i think we're good but um i'm gonna get off here and enjoy my 76 degree weather you are a jerk. I'm going to go finish doing revisions. I actually am not going to enjoy it. It's going to be way too hot. <laughs> I need to start opening the windows in this apartment because it's already starting to get stifling. Oh, yeah. My windows were open until the, well, till the hail came. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to go and grab my bowl of ice cream to make my mouth feel better. All right. Well, we'll see you next week. See y'all next week. Thank you for listening to Let's Get Mystical. This podcast was hosted by Genevieve Scholl and Lynn Howard and produced by Genevieve Scholl. If you'd like to contact the hostesses, you can do so by emailing letsgetmysticalpodcast at gmail.com.